today, and uh, it's called Family Matters, as you see. And I want you to know, this week I, I struggled because uh, we've been in a series called Baggage, and we've uh, talked about um, that from uh, Matthew 11 and 12, and uh, really considered staying in that series and, uh, and really prayed about it. And then uh, we, we plan our calendar out um, more than a year in advance. So um, the Lord led us to this series quite some time ago. I prayed about it, and I, you know, I really thought uh, about this, and we kind of talked about it uh, in staff. And, and what we realized is that, you know, a lot of our baggage that we carry unfortunately comes from the relationships that we have with our families. And so I think that we're not just stopping one series and moving to another. We're kind of, in a way, transitioning out of one into another and see that common idea and that thread that could be there. I have found that family can be the biggest blessing of our lives, and I have found that family can be one of life's most difficult things to navigate. Am I alone in that? Anybody else? Okay, I'm not alone. I see head shaking, so, and you kind of giggled. So, right, we, we kind of know that, right? It's not profound. It's not something you don't already realize in some way. <clears throat> but that's not the way God intended our families to, to be. It's not, you know, it's the effect of sin in our world and sin in our lives, of course, but it's not the original intent that the Lord had for the family. But there are many challenges that we can end up facing when we are a part of a family. Now, what often can happen when you do a family series is that, you know, we, we may focus on a certain stage of family, a certain lifetime of, uh, you know, a certain stage in our lifetimes. So it might be, you know, whatever the preacher is dealing with, of course, which we'll get to that because uh, family's hard, right? We, and we have four children and there are challenges in that. Uh, there's challenges uh, in, in other stages of life too, though. So I don't want to look at one to negate all. I really think all of us can realize and understand and recognize the challenges that are in our families. And really, it's not just uh, determined, you know, with what stage our children in are in. It's uh, many of you have, have children that haven't been at home for, for a long time. And, and, and so, but there are still challenges that you face in your family. There's still uh, things that are difficult to work through and hard to navigate at times. There's, of course, the stage that we're in, where activities are every night of the week, and it's a lot of fun, and you have a lot of memories, like uh, Charlie made his first basket this week, you know, so, I mean, you got a lot of fun things, but if you're not careful, if we're not careful, we're swimming in activity, and we, we're doing a lot, but nothing at all, nothing meaningful, and nothing significant, we're just trying to tread water and you know, keep our head above. That's the stage we're in. And, and some of you are in the stage with 
with small toddlers. I spoke to a mom just a few moments ago about the challenge that that brings. And that stage, it wasn't that long ago for us, so it's amazing because every single day, every moment, they're learning something new. You see them growing and developing, but it also brings sleepless nights and other challenges. And then there's this stage of adolescence. We're dipping our toes in that, and it's fun. I'm fine. We're fine. It'll be okay. And then you have the stage of young adulthood, the stage of empty nesters, the stage of grandparenthood, which I hear is excellent. And they all have their own blessings. Don't let me in any way negate the blessings. They have their own blessings. They have their own challenges. And then I, 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 have, I could even barely scratch the surface of the relationships, the family relationship we, that we have that are unhealthy. The ones that perhaps you grew up in and there's trauma surrounding and difficulty surrounding that's unspeakable. Family can be a great blessing, but family can be one of the most difficult things as well. I think some of the challenges that we face can come from how we view it, right? Your perspective in life really determines a lot of what happens in your life. It's how you view things. If you always see the negative, you'll always see the negative. If you always see uh, the difficult, you'll always see the difficult. If, if you can see the silver lining, then maybe you can break through at times and see where those things can be viewed in a positive light. You know, when we're thinking about the family, what is it? Why is it important? And how did God intend it to be? And that's the questions we seek to answer and somewhat during this series. What's the purpose of family? And what is most important for us to understand is that God intended the family to be a gift. God intended the family to be a gift. It's the tagline of the series, seeing your household as a gift from God. Now some of that you'll have to just tune out some of the negative and see the positive in the midst of that, see the gift that it is in the midst of the challenge. Some of that will be your perspective, but some of it will just be having to understand God's design and praying that God will help us to, to mend those broken moments and broken spots and difficulties that we faced. And that God can truly be, as we sang about earlier, the way maker and miracle worker in our families, not just our spiritual life, but the family life as well. But if we're answering the question of what is the family and why is it important and what did God intend it to be, we have to go back to the very beginning for just a moment. And we go back to the garden and we go back to that moment where God created Adam and he had him doing all these tasks and tending and keeping and taking care of animals and plants. And the Bible tells us that God looked across all things and there was not a helper fit for him. 
And so God established the family when he created Eve by taking that rib and crafting her so specially and importantly to be that companion, that help meet. Uh, it's a terminology we don't use a lot, but that, that idea of this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh is what Adam said as an exclamation. God created the family in that moment. And Adam and Eve, and we won't get into the details because there are children around, but Adam and Eve created the rest of the family. Let's just go with that, okay? That's supposed to be a joke. Obviously, it didn't hit it. Very good. <laughs> so, I'm glad you can laugh at my lack of being able to tell a good joke. So, and we see in this moment the establishment of something sacred, something intentional, something holy set apart by God for a purpose, the family. The place God is that he God that God commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue the earth would come to fruition in this nucleus of a household, this mom and dad and children. And this established family, we know, wasn't without its own package because it's a family. They messed up and sin was a part of their life eventually. We're not gonna get into all the details of that today, but I want you to see how important the family is and the establishment of it at the very beginning because it is the establishment of that family that guides our thoughts and ideas in this series. Yeah, very quickly, you know, you've got brothers where there's sibling rivalry. Sin had creeped in. There's prodigal children, and there's much more baggage that dominated this thing God created, but it was no less the gift he intended it to be. And I want to show you today in Scripture an actual moment later on after a bunch of mess, a bunch of baggage, if you will, where God uses this gift he established long before to communicate how he intended all of this to work for his good and for our good and for his glory. So would you join me in reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. If you're able, would you stand to honor the word of God and follow along with me there. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, Moses is saying this to them, so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I'm giving you your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. 
Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, basically all the time. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's look here and see how God established the family. What he established the family to do. Number one, we see that the Lord established the family so they would follow his ways. The Lord established the family so they would follow him. It was this built-in system, if you will, to make sure that there would be more and more and more followers of the Lord God, the one who took them out of the land of Egypt, the one true, holy, magnificent God. It was a built-in situation, a built-in system for discipleship, for growth, for all of these things. There, there are several passages in the Old Testament, in the, in the Torah, the, the five books of the Hebrew Bible, where we see God doing this. He systematically commands his people to be his people, and then he gives them tangible ways to make sure that they will remain in his ways. Now, we talk about baggage, we talk about family. You know, the people that Moses is speaking to in this moment are the people that their parents and their generation had to die in the wilderness because they didn't follow all these things to begin with. And then if you look and realize, and just shortly after that, this generation themselves were terrible at passing it on to the next. It doesn't mean any less. It's what God established. It's his intention is his system that he placed into his people and he gives them these tangible ways to ensure that they will remain in his ways. This passage has a very uh, uh, important name. It's, it's, it, though these things were not passed on, in fact, in the way they lived them out, these things were passed on for generations and generations and generations and the Israelites because they would, they would do what it said and they would place these things in, on tiny little writings in these little box called phylacteries and they would place them on their hands, they would place them on their foreheads and they would repeat these phrases and this phrase was known and is known to our Jewish brothers and sisters as the Shema, right? This, this, this word it literally means to listen and respond. The first word of verse Four, and it says, listen, right? Hear, O Israel, listen. And that's what it's saying. And so it's this idea, this constant thing that they would constantly do. And uh, they were really good at, at, at doing the action of it, but it didn't really embed itself in their hearts. And we'll talk about that today. But the idea was to pass this on, to help your family to follow the Lord and follow his ways and to move and continue to do what he's called them to do. It's a passage, this passage we just read and and a portion of it, the verses four uh, and following is the passage that was recited by them for centuries. God intended for his people to follow his ways and he wanted to remind them to do this and to do it always and to do it daily. As he said, hey, teach this to your children. Pass it on to your children and do it in the morning 
when you're walking along the road, when you're at the table, and when you lay them to bed. Like I said, that's like always, like every day, uh, multiple times throughout the day. And they would do these things. So Jesus, or sorry, God, the Father, established, we'll get to Jesus in a moment. So he established this ritual. Now the idea, now the idea is accomplished and fulfilled in Christ, but the truth about God using the family to bring obedience to bear in our kids' lives and in the generations to come is no less true or no less needed today. In fact, I would say it's more needed today. Christ accomplished it. We talked about that yesterday in our, uh, in our institute workshop. And Christ accomplished it, but now it's the family's job to impress it upon our loved ones, to impress it upon our children, to impress it upon our families. He wants us to follow his ways and fear him and acknowledge that he is holy God and he deserves our devotion. And what better way than for a family to live that out, for a mom and a dad, for a, and maybe it's a single mom, maybe it's a single dad. I understand that there's baggage even with that, but it's those people living those truths out, living that devotion out, aligning themselves to the Lord day in and day out that will be passed on and passed on. Now, my, my job to do that is... is is immediate and upon me right now. I have four children living in my home that look at every single thing that I do. And that man, they're, they are quick to tell me when I've messed up, yeah? They're, they're really good at no, noticing my inconsistencies because they're watching. But I realize there's people in here today, your children are growing. You got grandchildren, and I don't, some people in the room have great-grandchildren. But the job never stops. You'll see this passage, it tells, it, to pass, it tells us to pass it down not only to our sons, but to our grandchildren. It's this idea of this con constant factory, if you will, of passing down the truths of the Lord God and helping us to follow his ways. So we see that. We see the Lord establish a family so that the family would follow his ways. But we also see that the Lord established the family so their lives would be prolonged and prosperous. This is a very interesting idea, and, and, and I've got more work to do on it, honestly, but in trying to understand this passage to convey it to you today, this idea of prolonged life that we see in this passage, we see in other places in Exodus 20, we see that there's a promise that comes with uh, obey your mother and father, honor your father and mother because you will live long in the land. We see these ideas of, of doing that, and even Paul talks about it in Ephesians, and he says, Hey, obey your mother and father. It's the, only, uh, it's the only commandment with a promise, right? It's this promise to live long. It's this idea. So, you know, what is all of that? Well, let me help you see kind of what's going on here. The word here, multiply greatly in my text, means to increase or expand. Then he, he also tells us he wants us to prosper as well. Now, this is not a health and prosperity teaching, right? Well, that's not where I'm going. But there's something to a healthy family living for Jesus, following his ways that brings 
flourishing in their lives. Not, not necessarily monetarily, not necessarily you have all the, all the things, but you just are, are pleased. You just know that there's, it's okay. It's, you know, everything is going to progress. I grew up in a home, my dad was a bread delivery man, right? And um, he ingrained in my head, go to college, go to college. You don't have to do what I have to do, right? He would wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and he would return at home eight o'clock at night and he would deliver bread all the time. And even once he became a manager, he was there when they got there. And so he was there when they left and still had those same hours. We, we did not have, <coughs> excuse me, all the things that every one of my classmates had. But for the longest time, I had no idea. I had no idea why, because I had a mom and a dad who loved me and provided the things that I needed Sometimes hand-me-downs, sometimes, um, you know, my cousin's clothes or my cousin's bikes or toys or whatever, but I had what I needed. And I think that's the idea of flourishing. I think that's the idea of prospering. It's, it's not a, a monetary or a materialistic. We, we oftentimes place that on it in our culture, but that's not what it necessarily means. It means that we have what we need, and ultimately we have Christ. Ultimately, we have our relationship with the Lord God that is being reiterated in our home. And that was true of my home. I had gracious, I'm so thankful to have parents who loved the Lord and just were ordinary people. My mom was an optician. She you know, fixed people's glasses and my dad delivered bread and we had everything we need. We need it. There's also this idea of living long and we see this idea throughout many scriptures, this idea of living long, oftentimes it's associated with the promised land or with living long in the land. And you have to be careful because if you take Old Testament scriptures and you try to apply them to today, you can get real wonky with your theology. What our job is to look at the original intent, the original promise, which was a very clear promise that they would go and they would if they would follow all these things, it would, they were going to this promised land and they would have the ability to live there long. They, they had a lot of turmoil because they didn't follow the things. So there's this give and take. But you don't take that exactly how it is from the Old Testament and begin to apply it to your life because you have to realize that Christ is now the, uh, the one who fulfilled these laws in, in and of himself. And he is now the one providing the new covenant. So you have to filter it through the idea of the new covenant. You take the heart of what, that was go, what was going on there and that promise there, and you put it through the sieve, if you will, or the, the filter, if you will, of, of Christ and the new covenant, and you see what that promise is. And this is what I think it is. That flourishing is found. That longevity of life, that prolonged life, if you will, is found in that we will be walking closely with Christ. It's not necessarily days and years and months. It's more so the quality of those days and years and months that we have. You think about this. Paul said that we can count all things as good and as they are working together for the glory of God and the purpose of uh, good in our lives. And that means 
that even the tough things God uses for good. And it's the quality of our lives and our days and our years, not necessarily the length of them. I think that's the idea here, is that the Lord established the family so that we could have a certain quality of life that revolves around walking with the Lord and helping our kids to do that and helping our loved ones to do that. Last week, uh, I had the beautiful opportunity. My, my uncle was here and my, my cousins. I kept them. Uh, I was a good bit older. Than, I was their babysitter, so, um, which is you know, kind of weird because now they're grown, grown men. They have facial hair. You know, it's just interesting. But my uncle was here as well. And, um, my uncle looks a lot like my dad, so it's kind of strange looking out in the audience, seeing you know, someone look so much like my dad. Uh, my dad, I lost him six years ago on Thanksgiving. And my uncle lost his, my dear aunt, his wife, to COVID. She uh, was 57 years old and died because uh, she had uh, gotten COVID and then as a result gotten Guillain-Barre syndrome and, and passed away. And I think this passage helps me to see that there's ways in which I can show the faithfulness of Christ in my life even to my uncle and my cousins. And you can do the same with those loved ones in your life. You don't have to think about it just as parents and children or you know, parents and grown children or parents and grandparents and all those things. It's those folks that are family to us. It may be even people that aren't blood relatives. And that we want to help them to flourish and walk closely with Christ. The third thing we see is that the Lord established the family so they would learn to love him. He says, listen. And that word shema, it, it is, it's more than just hearing with like audio, you know, waves going into our ears. It's this idea of heeding and responding and living these things out. And he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord your God is one, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God doesn't want blind obedience from you and I. He wants devotion and love. He wants everything we have. He wants us to love him with everything we have. It's not just merely emotion, but it's a devoted action that we constantly bring to bear in our lives. It's the idea to teach the children the same things in our lives. We first love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we tell our children, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's this idea of passing down this love for our God. It should be visible. It should be tangible. Your kids, your family members ought to be able to see it. I know there are people in this room right now who have who have prodigal children, grown children, prodigal children. And I know that's probably the, the source of your prayers, most of your prayers. And you know what they need to see? They need to see you depending upon the Lord with everything you have. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what they need to see. And they need to see you pleading with them to do the same. The family is the first place children should learn to love their God. Don't merely place that task on the church alone. Don't just 
take and say, well, here you, you have them, Sunday school teacher. Here you have them, uh, Jordan. Here you have them, Pastor Derek. You, you disciple them. You help them grow in the love of Christ. No, 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 no. We come alongside of you. We work with you in tandem. But the first responsibility is on you. The first job is that of the home. We work with you. But primarily, it's the established home. God intends your children to learn to love him within. Your child will see your intentional love for God and how often you reveal that love. Yesterday in the Institute, we talked about abiding in Jesus. First, you abide in him and then convey that to your kids. No matter their age. The fourth thing is the Lord established the family so they would pass his ways to future generations. Verse two, it says, to pass it to your son and to your grandson. Every generation, every generation. There, we've already talked about it. There's grandparents and great-grandparents in the room today. Your job isn't done. Continue to pass it on. And I tell you, there's a whole parcel of kids. You saw them earlier sing. Didn't they do an awesome job? They need you. They need you as well. They need you to be surrogate parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. They need you to live out these truths before them. It's their parents' primary job, but there is an element to where the church family comes alongside and walks with and shares with and passes it on to generation after generation after generation. We have the opportunity today to participate in the communion. And um, <clears throat> I told you that there's several Old Testament passages where the Lord establishes this commandment and it gives a tangible way for people to remind themselves often, often about following him in a real tangible way. There's another one, and we, we are the beneficiaries of this. Again, it, it, it was, it's gone through the filter of the new covenant in Christ, but it started in Exodus chapter 13. God had delivered the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. They're on their way. They can see the Red Sea. They're about to come up to it as uh, the enemy is pressing in behind. And God tells Moses, he says, consecrate make holy that's what that word means make holy the firstborn son they had just seen God they had just seen God deliver the plague the judgment of the firstborn of Egypt being being killed God was establishing this legacy, this automatic system of legacy building. Egypt wouldn't be able to do that because the firstborn of the, that culture, of, of those cultures, the, of all the land at that time was so important. You passed everything down to that firstborn. It was a, a legacy factory, if you would. So he ended that reign and that people group and that legacy, their ability to pass it on very easily and he tells Moses and his people, he says, listen, you 
set aside as holy your firstborn son. He was developing a legacy factory. And at the very same time, he, he told them to begin, it was where he established the Passover, the, the celebration of the Passover, what God had done to deliver his people. And he instructed them to take these elements and these moments to remind themselves of what God had done, to look back and see what he had done. While they were looking back, they were really looking forward as well to what God would eventually do. Though many of them forgot that and didn't do that. But Jesus sat with his disciples in the upper room and he took this Passover meal that they did every year. He took this Passover meal with them, but he filtered it through the new covenant and through his blood and through what he was about to do. And he says, this is something you've done all your lives, but it's, there's something new to it. There's a new element to it. So you and I have this tangible thing that we can do. We get to do it today to remind us of what Christ has done. I want you to see the power. I want you to see the power that this meal has. Paul this communion. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10 beginning of verse 13 No temptation has come upon you except what is common to human to humankind to humanity but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm seeking the sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. The cup of blessing, we're about to take the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing that we bless is, not a sh- is, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. What he's saying in this passage is that there's significance in a cup and a little piece of cracker certainly meant to remind us of what Christ has done but it's also the thing that we use to remind us how to overcome the baggage in our lives the difficulties in our family we align ourselves with Christ and what he's already done on the cross for you and for me and that's what we're going to do in just a moment. I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward. We're going to share in the cup of blessing. And in this amazing way, when we share in that, we are sharing or communing with the blood of Christ. We're going to take the bread in just a moment. In this amazing way, it's hard for us to understand and fathom. We are sharing or communing with the body of Christ broken for us.
Let's pray. God, help us to to see these moments and these elements as an opportunity to align our lives with you and to share with our families and our children how we can always remember and commune with what you've done for us. Your body broken, your blood spilled. It's in Jesus' name we pray.